The Courage to Grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, if I'm the, the recipient of the grant, <clears throat> the pros are that I'm getting inverted commas free money. Okay. Yeah. What, what are the other pros? I think it's a good assumption to say that money has got a faster speed than an average human being. Uh, but there is something that we've learned is um, if you chase passion, money is running so fast it's going towards passion. So all you need to do is just catch the passion and then the money will come. LinkedIn is purely B2B. So if you want to sell, market, speak to businesses, this is your platform. And other than any other social media network, it gives you the ability to build your personal brand. Hello and welcome to the Big Small Business Show. On the show, we uh, support entrepreneurs through their entrepreneurial journey. Now, from time to time, we have what we call our avoided debate. These are the discussions that are taking place uh, out there, but uh, we as entrepreneurs try to avoid them as much as we can. And today, uh, a topic that's uh, uh, coming up more and more is the concepts of grants. What, what uh, Triple BE has done is created a huge context for grant money in this country. And there is a lot of debate whether it's good or bad for entrepreneurs to participate in these opportunities around grants. With me in studio is Kumaran Pariachi, who is the CEO of Spartan SME Finance. Um, and uh, Kumaran is known for his straight talk uh, on the show. And today I'm looking forward to a debate with you uh, on, on this grant uh, issue. Although I suspect that we are both uh, going to be saying very similar things and both feel the same thing about it. So let me just start off by, by sort of giving you my context, which is I work with hundreds of entrepreneurs. Um, I work with um, some social entrepreneurs. And let's just go to the social entrepreneur uh, first. And social entrepreneurs are very much around getting, let's call it donation um, sources of income in order to sustain their purpose for, for their non-profit organization or whatever. The issue is that they become very reliant on one or two individual uh, organizations and they live and die by the um, budgets allocated mm. to them. And I see too often that they uh, disappear overnight, literally overnight, that they come to, if the budget is, budgeting period is a December year end, January they didn't get it, by the end of January they closed down, boom. And they've been around for like 10 years or eight years before, but you know, that seismic shift just takes them out. The other context that I'm in is around the triple BE and doing enterprise and supply development. And there is a lot of funding available for small black businesses. There's a lot of uh, grants available for, uh, for businesses. Um, and once again, I, I see here, there are huge issues around, um, in my opinion, 
the weakness it creates within the business. In other words, the businesses don't build, uh, some, but not all, some businesses don't build muscle tone in order to actually build a commercial business out of that opportunity. But there's a third element which I want you to speak about to start off with, which is around um, a different type of grant sector. So these are governments the world over mm. will take a view on a particular sector, industry, or maybe an aspect of an industry and want to mobilize investment there. And, and so what they will do, they will come out with incentives uh, and or grants. They will generally ask the company who is investing to put a certain amount. So basically you put one rand, they put one rand. Right? And these are used to catalyze certain industries. So I'll give you some examples. In South Africa, we have had manufacturing grants in the past, probably still do. There's automotive segment within uh, the manufacturing that has, uh, has had special grants. And that's to catalyze those industries because we need more manufacturing or we need to grow automotive. There was or still is the Jobs Fund grant that's to catalyze jobs. Right? But someone comes with 10 million rand and the Jobs Fund says they put 10 million rand, something like I'm simplifying it. And then they make that project a bit bigger as long as it creates jobs. So that's an example of South African government and it's the world over will come up with these kind of grants, but it's generally on a match basis to cut and to catalyze something. And it's not forever. It's a five year or a little, little window. And once that uh, little thing they're looking to catam catalyze has got uh, wings, then you take the, the grant or the crutch away. So, so that's a good segue into in talking about some of the pros of, of grants, which is across the board, uh, across the board right now, which is to catalyze a certain thing. So governments or organizations use it as almost an instrument to create an outcome that they are, are looking for. Yes. yes, it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Well, that's for the, the grantee. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but so, so what are the, so, so obviously the pros are that if I'm the, the recipient of the grant, <coughs> the pros are that I'm getting inverted commas free money. Okay. Yeah. What, what are the other pros? The real, I mean, the real pros is that you're getting a leg up. It's an enabling you. So maybe there's other things that are that are going for this opportunity for your business. That's what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense to take that next step. And the grant may allow you to take that next step that otherwise you would not be. So mm -hmm. it, it also accelerates or enables the growth of whatever you're doing, whether you're a smaller SME or a larger mm -hmm. business getting a government grant or the B grant, doesn't matter. The concept, the issue is that at the appropriate level, it is giving you the leg up, hmm. an enablement, just so that next, and then you fly on its own. It's almost like a little bit of a temporary training wheels on the hmm. on the bicycle, and then you take it off once you can ride. You know, it, it's you can't ride the bicycle with the training wheels all the time. So you know, philosophically, that's the image that, and that's how it should be looked at as a pro rather than I'm getting free money, because hmm. then. Whilst that may be true, it's the wrong orientation in my view. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. And I've been the recipient. I remember somebody put it to me in a different way. We were approached by an international organisation, and they sat and they said with me, and they said, "Alon, what's at the bottom of your tray on you know your to-do list? What's that sitting right at the bottom?" Bottom, and I said, "What? What are you talking about?" And they said, "What's sitting right there?" And the only reason you're not doing it is because 
the risks are just too high and mm. you haven't quite worked out how to mitigate those risks. That's it. And, and, and so I said, well, there's a project that I've got um, uh, my eye on, but I don't know how to, to take out the risk. And I said, okay, we'll fund that risk for you. And the interesting thing for me in the pro there is that we did do it the first time. We didn't do it perfectly. We learned a huge amount, as you pointed out. And then once we use that opportunity to learn, we then have now replicated that without on, on our own, without grant funding. So, so they took out the, the, the pain of learning, yes. the cost of learning. So that's it. The learning curve was removed. That's it. That's yeah. exactly the role of it. But not everyone does that. Some people just are there. And you see um, where government incentives are abused. Where, and I'm not just talking about in the triple BE side, I'm talking about where it might be a zone, a, a, yes. a tax-free yes. zone or a yes. whatever the case may yeah. be, that Very people much. then rush in there, take advantage of it. You know, yeah. Every policy, everything, I mean, life is duality and a paradox. So everything, whilst it has a noble intention, can, in the wrong hands with the wrong lens, be used for the wrong ends. You see this, right? Mm. You can't get around that from a policy perspective. You'll have a noble tax kind of incentive. Someone will try and play it the wrong way. So on this, you talked about the zones or you're talking about the industrial government type of grants. So I can, I can share our experience. We've had some clients that approach us for funding because how it works is, okay, uh, if they come with the funding of X, then they will get the grant, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, so they come, if we give them 10 million rand, then they'll get the grant of 10 you know, on the other side, 20 million rand project. But then we interrogate why you're doing this. Is it in line with your strategy? And okay, I'm planning to do this, this, and it all makes sense in terms of my strategy for my business. And this grant, wow, it kind of, it's a blessing. It comes at the right time, it's gonna work. That's great. But what's happened is that people that have approached have gone the other, which is hang on, I don't have fully a strategy. This is great, and let me just take this on and see what comes. So now that's the whole wrong thing, right? Because you're getting, a, you're borrowing for the wrong reason. You're taking capacity for the grants to put in more machinery or what for the wrong reason. When mm. there's no strategy or it's flawed. Mm. So then now that's just, that's just taking the money because it's free. Mm. And the other you side, that's a problem. yeah. And I, th I just want to sort of um, hold the thought around the strategy. Now, when we come back from the break, just talk about um, that, that comment. Uh, but we do have to, don't give me that look. Your comment around, the question around the strategy. Yes. I want to talk about okay. that after the break. Yeah. Uh, after the break, we'll continue our discussion. Hopefully, Kumar will work out what I just said by then. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we are continuing with our avoided debate uh, and today we, our avoided debate is on the pitfalls of grant money, but not just the pitfalls because there's also an upside to it. Now before the break uh, we were just talking about the subject of strategy, about is it aligned to your strategy. Mm. Now that to me for, as a, a person lending the money 
is, is, a, the que is a question to ask. But it also should be the question you should be asking yourself. Yes. Is that what am I using this money yes. for? But, and I'm just trying to be, be very honest here. 90%, and that's just a notional number, 90% of, of the entrepreneurs that I'm exposed to don't ask that question. They just see it as free money. And what, what, my, what I witness then is that an infrastructure is built out of that money because that money doesn't drop to the bottom line. Often grants require certain um, evidence of output. And in order to create that evidence of output relative to that grant, there's some infrastructure that needs to be created around in producing that. When the grant then disappears, that infrastructure bears costs okay, to, to, to maintain, to operate, etc. And that then kills the business because when the grant disappears, the, the cost of, of maintaining the infrastructure that created the output becomes in itself the problem. Very much. You know, let's take it from an individual and translate it into business. Some of us, all of us, ourselves included, we dull our senses to escape the harsh realities or sometimes of thinking through things. It could be alcohol, it could be food, it could be drugs, it could be your Twitter feed or whatever it is, social I'm media. Gonna, I'm going to take it, you and I have got the same one, the food. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you get what I'm trying to say. These are the things you used to, to dull and whatever. And so instead of facing reality of certain things. Now likewise in business, if you haven't had the hard thinking about the strategy and how it is you're going to succeed and to do those thinkings, then what happens, you put yourself on this grant drip. Mm. That's the problem, because mm. now it's a proxy for, okay, let me get this, it'll keep me alive and somehow, mm. whatever it is. You can't escape the thinking of business. And so to that end, grant can be a very bad thing in that context. Mm. Because what it's doing is it's pro pro protracting your demise. It's stealing the opportunity to learn and to build a proper foundation for your business, which mm. is all a lot of learning and iterations. That's been stolen from you. That's a natural journey every business, every entrepreneur has to go through. And Grant can, in the wrong instance, Grant can steal that from you, can't it? Hmm. No, 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 I agree it's with like you 100%. The, it's like the food or the drug. So let's just move on to um, those businesses or organizations that are currently watching and they are highly reliant on Grant. How do you move then from, the question is, how do you move from a Grant dependency to, act, let's call it commercial, a commercial business. What's, what's if if you're watching this and you go, yeah. I'll he's making you, sense. I'll, I'll How do you move? You, but it's a debate, so let me swing the question back to you, and then I'll give you my answer. How do you? All right. Okay. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm the one asking questions. Yeah. No, it's a debate. Yeah. We both meant to talk. Yeah. So 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 from from my from my perspective, it's around uh, like any anything else. It's about a, creating a product that's valuable to someone product or service that has value to somebody else, mm. that has some um, uh, perceptual value, and that people will p uh, are prepared to pay for that perceptual value. And that perceptual value has to be at a profit. So if you can produce that perceptual value uh, at a profit, that's what you need to be doing. So what I do when I work with organizations that are highly reliant in, in grant spaces, I ask them, what are the core competencies competencies that you have in the business right now okay what what uh, what what do you actually have or the NGO or the whatever it is what do you actually do and then they see that I'll give you an example of that I worked with a, an aid um, AIDS um, uh, 
uh, organization. And they were now had exactly the same situation. They were, their, their funders were now going to pull out. And we sat down a day strategy and we worked out that what they had was two things. They had distribution, okay, that which was, and the question is who else is that valuable to? Okay. And they go, oh, well we now have a complete distribution across thousands of, of points across South Africa where we have distribution and who else would need that. And number two, we have training competence. So how can we repurpose that training competence and who would and use as much as we can. So very often sitting embedded in underneath, if you re-look at it in a different way, are other competencies that have manifested by mistake, but now that has then as an unintended consequence created a distribution uh, network and the ability to train. And then you start looking there. Do you, but you said earlier on 90% from, and it was just a number, you yeah. it, it feels like it's 90%. Don't want that. They want the quick fix. Mm. Give me the yes. give me my next hit. Yeah. So how do you try and have the substantive discussion when you're competing with the drug? You do it by talking about the future, but by talking about the, the absolute fact uh, that that grant w uh, money will end. It's not about uh, if it will end, it's when it ends and what that leaves you with. Yes. Because what, what people don't get, and I think this is the point that you were, were talking about earlier, is that I might have the free money now, mm. but at some point then, now I have to service this thing. Whatever money I've made, I'm, I'm going to lose. And net, net, after all of this, I'm going to have nothing. Yes. And have to fund in, not just, the, not just also just financially, but sometimes emotionally, not sometimes, in mm. every instance emotionally mm. as well, mm. and reputationally and all those other things that come with it. So it's not wise to be thinking about just how do I get the money. So if you had to suggest to the grantors anything that they could change, uh, whether it's the government one or the BE one or the social one, what would you suggest? Because we talked a lot about grantees here. Our people receiving the grants. What will the guys giving the grants need to change, if at well, all? Well, I've seen this now. I work in the international con uh, 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 environment. And when you work with um, uh, the uh, uh, development uh, DFIs, the development institutions, funding institutions, um, they're very much about, uh, at the end of the three years, you know, wh what is this thing standalone? Talk to me about the sustainability of this. Yeah. So they're very focused on the sustainability of, of the project beyond the funding. Yeah. And that it's not a flat, cut, flat thing, it's a declining number. Mm. That's very much sort of the, the thinking that we go there. But we've got to take a break. We also have to think commercially here as well. So we're going to take a break. After the break, we'll give you our final thoughts on this topic. Well, it's time for our last segment of our hour avoided debate. Avoided debate. Jeez, I've got trouble speaking today. Now, our debate is about the pitfalls of grant money. There are some um, obvious uh, positives around receiving grant money. We were talking about some of those, but all in all, that if we don't take that grant money and use it in, in a strategic way in order to precipitate a commercial entity or commercial project, 
then uh, it's not really a good thing. So, Kamara, we were just talking about how we would, um, how we would, uh, from a grand tour point of view, how the strategy should ch should change. Any any last thoughts on from a grantee, how, how how they should be thinking differently? How do I'm watching this? How do I now start thinking strategically? So one thing is to maintain a few things. One would be to maintain an active awareness that this can be at once the leg up you need, but also the poison chalice, the drug that you cannot get off. Hmm. So see the pro and the con, that allows you to be more guarded in how you go about it, number one. Number two, I would be purposeful, if you haven't sorted out what strategy you have for your business, whether it's a social or the SME or the larger one or the government fund, if you haven't sorted that out properly, then you shouldn't be looking at the grant. When you sorted out that properly, and probably in the sense that it's clear to you, it may not, there may be a lot of experimentation still needed, but it's clear to you that your path ahead, how you're going to go about your, your business and expanding it. Then you look to where does the grant, what is its natural place in this thing? You know, it may be you want to do rowing, but you're getting training wheels and you're switching to running a bicycle strategy race, wrong thing. You know, where does the grant fit into your preordained strategy plan? That'll keep you honest to your path rather than trying to flounder and change simply to to get the, to grant funding. I would say it's those two things. One, one more for me would be, like anything, you know, research and on the ground, go and talk to other people that have got grants. Multiple, one-off, those that didn't succeed in getting it, those that did, those that have got more than one, and find out from them about the process, the journey, what has worked, what regrets they have. So you're standing on the shoulders of others. I would do those three things. Eh? I just want to give you an, uh, uh, an idea of um, another just like obscure idea. Because generally grants like um, uh, government grants around uh, certain incentives have a timeline. They generally, uh, and you start getting the signals that the, the time is coming to an end. Either they tighten up the, 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 the requirements or the, the numbers drop or or the you know the benefits start to reduce over time, which is a indicator that that the 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 life of that grant is coming to an end. Is to go look at where those grants are in the, in the market. So the, the, let's go, let's go. There's a universe of grants in in South Africa, which are coming to an end, and look at all the the people who are dependent on them. Because there is huge opportunity in, in those companies, organizations that are going to actually close okay, as a result of not having grants and pick up assets, okay, be it competency assets, people assets, okay, or, or, or actually business assets in that space. So it's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. There's an upside of this grant yeah. thing. If you're looking at it almost like an auctioneer yeah. who would look at a, an industry yeah. and say, which industries are going to decline yeah. because it's always and you don't want yourself to be the caucus that's going to be yeah i know no, yeah. but i'm giving a different angle yeah, no, yeah. you yeah, know because uh, because i like to, uh, i like nice. to think a little differently about what's what's positive because once again wherever there's ne in a change wherever there's negative there's also depending how you look at it positive so so that's where that's where i'd go but just you know from from my perspective and i don't know you i think grants are um, I don't think you should shy away from them. I no. think it's. I think uh, you shouldn't be purist 
yes. about not receiving. But it's a pro and a con. Pro and a con. However, I've had a situation just in, in you know, and talking about the, you know, one of the grants that you mentioned, I won't mention by name now, where we walked away from it on two occasions because the, the grants are set up in, in a way that they're not designed commercially. Okay? So they're not designed that, um, that at the end of the period that, that you, they don't either give you enough time or, or their requirements are not there that, they, that, that disenable you to become commercial. And I'll give you an example of that outside of South Africa. We were approached to get involved with um, the, one of the World Bank uh, grants. But in the, in the terms, it's a three-year term, it says you have to be sustainable in five years, but it only gives you money for three. Mm. Okay. But in the, inf in, the, in the terms, the infrastructure requirement is so high that, that there is no way in order to support that infrastructure that you can do without the grant. So the, it, the grant is set up in a way that it doesn't allow you to be commercial, yet you know, it requires you to be sustainable. So, so very much look at those kind of, th uh, the kind of things in terms of, so I walk away from, from those kind of things because then your reputation is at stake. And a lot of people don't get that reputation is also critical. Well, that's it. Uh, those are my la last uh, points. Any last points from you? No, all good. All good. Okay. So grants are good and grants are bad. Make sure that, uh, that you are strategic in, when, in how you use those grants and ensure that you, they don't become this disenabling drug that you require in, in order to keep your uh, business going. Please stay tuned to see what's coming up after the break. We'll be right back. Just because you lacked it, it's not a thing that you actually lacked. I mean, I know I come from lack, so I didn't actually lack a Louis Vuitton bag. I, I lacked a feeling. <laughs> Welcome to our leadership series. This is part three of our leadership series. Uh, we have been in an incredible conversation with an incredible leader of South Africa. Her name is Ibu Masatobe and uh, she is incredibly passionate about this country and she's passionate about releasing people from the bondage of uh, financial ignorance. She is uh, an educator, she works with uh, communities in terms of uh, getting people educated about their finance, about how to plan for their future, how to budget and how to ensure that they have productive lives uh, as participants in society. She's also um, got an incredible CV, including having met uh, President Barack Obama, which we spoke about last time. She's got an MBA, um, and she is, uh, the, was selected as one of the top 40 women under 40 in South Africa, uh, and has featured in many, many magazines. Today we're talking about the speed of wealth. What do you mean by that? Well, um, there's two ways of looking at it. I always, uh, when I speak to communities and to my clients, I say, 
nobody yet has been able to chase money successfully until they catch it. <laughs> okay, so I think it's a good assumption to say that money has got a faster speed than an average human being. Uh, but there is something that we've learned is um, if you chase passion, money is running so fast, it's going towards passion. So all you need to do is just catch the passion and then the money will come. <laughs> so in personal finance, when you have the conversation, I always say sometimes even in the way in which we use money, uh, we, we sometimes rush to look wealthy, you know, yes. which we rush to have the fittings of, of wealth. And unfortunately, we aren't able to run as fast as wealth. And that's how we end up in debt. So let's just talk about passion because some, how do you, how can you tell somebody that you've got to be passionate? Surely they are or aren't or they are passionate about certain things or maybe you are passionate about um, gardening and not about money or, or making things or anything related to, to what we would call business. Mm. Well, I always have this uh, conversation where somebody, for example, would approach me and say, Zibu, I would like to start a catering business. And then I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, so who are you catering to? And um, the answer doesn't come because what they actually wanted to do was start a catering business. But they have no clue what problem are they solving. And that, that keeps them awake at night. I always tell people, you've got uh, DJs that play music and then you have black coffee. The guy played for 36 hours straight because he loves it. So if you told me I can get a million by playing for 36 hours straight, I don't think we'll get the 36 hours because it has to be when you love something and even if your passion is gardening, rather meet me and say, you know what, whenever I travel around Alexandra, I don't see gardens and I want to see gardens. I'm most likely going to find somebody that can fund you for that because it's something you feel strongly about. But if you're just chasing the money that you think is going to come out of a business or a business concept, the likelihood of it succeeding and not succeeding really depends on how much you feel about the subject matter or about the business that you're going to do because otherwise at the first hurdle you're going to let it go. It's the same with chasing wealth for your family. If you just want to buy the car because everybody else is driving it, you're wasting money. Mm. But if it's really something that powers your dream, it's not wasting money. So sometimes you find women especially would go on sales and they will just chase the shoes and the bag and they don't even love the bag. And I invite them to an interview at Race Corp and the first thing they need to do is go buy another set of shoes because they don't love the one that they already have in their wardrobe. So it's really about when we chase money and when we chase things, we, we, we can't keep up. But when we chase our passion and what we love, things that we want come to us. Let's talk about that in terms of the concept of lack. Mm. Because psychologists will tell you that the reason why that cliche exists, that as soon as somebody comes is exposed to money who has never exposed to money before, is because they're trying to fill a hole of lack. They had lacked it in their childhood, they lacked it perhaps in their early uh, 20s, mm. and now they're exposed to it and just want it mm. because they lacked it. Talk to me about that. Well, I would say just because you lacked it, it's not a thing that you actually lacked. I mean, I know I come from lack, so I didn't actually lack a Louis Vuitton bag. I, I lacked a feeling. <laughs> and that feeling that I was lacking growing up is maybe one of recognition 
um, around as a person, yes. uh, anyone to pay attention to my dreams and actually listen to them because when everyone is in poverty, they're too busy working to actually listen to you. And I can get the same fulfillment um, from having better quality relationships than from having a new bag. What happens is when I get the new bag, it's exciting and I'm happy, but the bag is only new for the day at that week. And then after a week, the feeling goes away. But if I build sustainable, fulfilling relationships where I can be honest about how I feel, I can always go back to that person. So sometimes, I know advertising is great, right? They, they make you feel like if you're driving from here to KZN in a specific car, you've made it. But the problem is you haven't really. It's going to give you that feeling that first month out of garage, um, about five months later, the leather is still going to smell, but the deduction is going to hurt you and it's going to affect you even, even worse. So it, that's why I say it's the speed of wealth. So I always caution and I say, maybe let's, let's slow down the pace. You still get to wealth, uh, but let's rather seek passion and seek what we love first. At least when you, if I buy that bag and I love it, it means something. But if I'm buying it because I want recognition, they're only going to recognize me once. Your neighbors are not going to say, oh, Zebu, wonderful bag every day. They'll say it the first time they see me with the bag and it will fulfill what Zebu at seven year old needed. But the following week, I'm not going to like my neighbor mm. because they're no longer fulfilling that void for me. So that's, I, I would say, that's where the lesson and the teaching for me becomes. And it's a, it's a treadmill because the moment the other one next to you comes with a, a better bag, mm. right? And then, oh, nice bag. And then you see somebody's got a nicer bag. Then you go from a sense of actually feeling good to a sense of feeling actually bad. Worse. Worse. And cell phone companies are the worst. You'll buy the Samsung 6 and then the next, and everybody's like, wow, wonderful port. How many megapixel? And that's nice. You know, it's the recognition, it's the attention. Mm. And then another one comes out, seven is out. And now they're not looking at you, they're looking at your neighbors. Now you feel sad, then you go get a seven. And then the following year, there's an eight. So it's, it's what we do maybe at the seminars and when we meet is really discussing understanding who you are, understanding that lack that you went through and what it meant for you. Maybe try and figure out what is it that you wanted that you never got. And then it's not really a bag, it's not a shoe, it's not a car. It's, it's how you feel as a person and it's how people made you feel. And let's identify opportunities of doing that while growing your wealth because going straight for the items and uh, going straight for cash. I always say cash is a placeholder. If a person doesn't know what they want, they'll say I need 10 million. Nobody wants 10 million. What you gonna, if I give you a bag full of 10 million alone, what are you gonna do with it? Quickly go and buy something. So the issue is you want something and when we don't know how to articulate what we want, uh, we use cash as a, as a placeholder for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get into a lot of trouble now but, uh, from our producer, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm such a rebel. <laughs> you spoke about your, your seminars, your workshops. Where would I find, if I was watching this and saying, what does she mean, where do I find out about that? I'll say go to Google and say Money Revolution South Africa. Money Revolution South, South Africa. Africa. We've got a website, it's www.mrsamoneyrevolution.co.za. If you go there, you'll find out about where the seminars are happening and where we do the teachings on personal finance and where we teach people not to dig a bigger hole when it comes to debt. Thank you for being on the Big Small Business Show and uh, carry on doing what you do. Thank you for having me. Um, do stay tuned to see what's coming up next. LinkedIn is a relationship building platform. It's for networking. 
It is not for propositioning. Welcome to our expert slot and today here yeah, we are talking about LinkedIn. This is a three-part story, uh, three-part story, three-part insert where we are talking with somebody who is very familiar to you on the Big Small Business Show. It's Dr. Nick Erbel and he's CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy. Welcome back. Thanks a lot. Right, so today we're going to be talking about LinkedIn specifically what it is and how it differs from the other social media. So let's start off by asking what is it? Is it social media? Well, it is professional media. It's the world's biggest professional network. It started off, it was the first social media network, started off 15 years ago as a recruitment channel and has morphed into the world's most powerful marketing platform. And how would it be different from using the likes of Facebook or Twitter or any one of those other social platforms? Well, LinkedIn is purely B2B. So if you want to sell, market, speak to businesses, this is your platform. And other than any other social media network, it gives you the ability to build your personal brand. Okay, so let's, let's start now. I go on to LinkedIn.com, I type in, I sign, uh, when I sign in, I want to register, I put my name, and there I am, I fill out my profile, and we're going to be talking about profile in, in, in the next uh, uh, slot, but, so, but, but now I've got my profile, I've got zero followers or what, what connections. connections. Uh, what do I do now? First thing is you have to build your profile, cosmetically in terms of your picture, your profile picture, your background picture, and content-wise in terms of what is your value proposition and you have to story brand your profile. Right. Secondly, you have to grow your network to at least 500. Okay. Because at 500 plus, LinkedIn cuts off the display, but people take you a lot more serious when you have 500 plus. And thirdly, you need to be active on LinkedIn. You need to post, publish, and master content marketing. But how do I get people to, to join? Does then LinkedIn then sends me potential connections? But uh, how the first you thing you do, yeah. you have to sync your email contacts with your LinkedIn. And there is a function on LinkedIn, you can import your email contacts and sync. So you get all your present and past clients and colleagues on LinkedIn in one fell swoop. Okay. All right. So now I've got everyone I know. But now how do I approach a, a stranger? Now I see that I want to get, there's the, this guy called Dr. Nick Erbel, and I want to get in contact with, with him. What do I do now? How, what do I say to you? What do I type you and say to you what? Well, it's very similar to uh, how you would uh, hopefully approach a stranger in a public space, maybe a bar. Get shown interest and have a look at their profile, check out this Dr. Nick and find areas of commonality that will enable you to personalize. And personalizing is a key. So when you send a connection request, do personalize it. Say, dear Nick, I noticed that you have gone to the school and or I love your uh, latest article about content marketing you have to personalize it, then the chances are high that you will be accepted. And I suppose when, when people are approaching you, it's strangers are approaching you, it's the same thing. Do you accept them, just some stranger says they want to connect? 
Well, remember, there are no strangers in this new economy. Um, first of all, anybody that's credible on LinkedIn, you need to accept because, and when I say credible, it means they have a profile picture, a summary, at least 200 connection, connections. Because LinkedIn works on the three degrees of networking. So if I'm connected to you, I have access to your connections and their connections connections. But if I have a very small network, my reach on LinkedIn is extremely limited and I will not find the right people. So you have to be an open networker, a lion. LinkedIn, open networker. Okay, so, so let's just talk about that now that I, you know, taking, I've got close on 10,000 um, people, about 9,600 as we speak. And I'm one of those people that takes on anyone because I have one strategy. Kumaran is also on the show, it knows every single person mm. uh, that he's linked in with. He knows every single one, either he's met them mm. or he knows uh, of them through his other network. Mm. Uh, what, what, who's right, who's wrong? You're right, because you have to be an open networker. I have to tell Kumar on that. Say that again. You are 100% right. Okay, in right, this new I'll economy, you. you have to be an open networker. It's critically important. And it's way beyond. LinkedIn started off first with only allowing you to connect to the people you know, like and trust. And luckily, Microsoft, when they bought LinkedIn last year, have changed that approach. You must connect to everybody that's credible because that allows you to grow your reach into new territories. Maybe you want to do business in the, in the, the, in the US, in new industries, in new companies. It's the only way. So how do I know you spoke about them being credible? How would I know they're credible? Um, if they must have a proper profile picture, they must have a proper headline, they must have a, a summary, they must have a script, uh, an ex, uh, current position, and at least 200 connections. So you know they are fairly serious about networking on LinkedIn. Okay. If they don't have a picture, they don't have a headline, I wouldn't. Okay. And what happens, what do you do when somebody uh, connects with you, connects with somebody, and immediately yeah, they send you uh, some sort of solicitation to buy their product or service or to meet you. What, what are you what, how do you feel about that? If they proposition you, yes. you should can them. You should remove them. It's one click because that's not the way. LinkedIn is a relationship building platform. It's for networking. It is not for propositioning. Okay, what's the difference? The difference is very simple. Uh, would you monetize your wife? Probably not. I hope about, not. Let me think about that. <laughs> okay, no. So you shouldn't monetize. You shouldn't look at LinkedIn as a monetization platform. It's a relationship building platform. So how do you build relationships? You get to know people. You show an interest in people. You compliment people. You look for similarities. And you look for areas of cooperation. Okay. So now I find that, that cooperation, that point of cooperation, and now I want to make my first move to, for us to cooperate. Talk to me about that first message that I send you. We've connected a month ago. I've researched you. I've waited enough time. You don't feel like I'm just hitting you with a solicitation. But I do see in your network there are certain people that makes you quite uh, important to my future. What I, what I do? What you should do, you should ask for advice. You should either ask for an introduction to somebody in the network and give a good enough reason, or you should ask for their advice on a subject that they are an expert about. So you should leverage the principle of reciprocation, which means you need to give value first before you receive anything. Okay. Do, do many people use LinkedIn to actually physically meet 
or, or do most relationships on LinkedIn remain digital? Well, you should always make the effort to, if you want to build solid relationships, you must make the effort to meet face to face. That is really important. I think it's more important now than ever, now that we are so connected digitally, but so separated in real life. Last question for me, we've got less than a minute now. This, you spoke, I mentioned that Microsoft uh, uh, bought uh, LinkedIn. So what has fundamentally changed other than um, maybe the networking rules? What, what, what has changed fundamentally since Microsoft has bought them? Well, Microsoft spent 26 billion US on buying LinkedIn, their biggest acquisition ever. And they see it as a business service for their cloud computing business. So what has really changed is a lot more emphasis on posting and LinkedIn, the engagement has gone up from about a third to 50% of members go back to the site every day. Nick, that's all we've got time for, for today. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, uh, the profiling, how to create the right profile for us on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Uh, well, uh, I'm sure you heard uh, all the thunder and the lightning in the background. We do love it when it rains in South Africa. We need all the rain we can get. Well, do stay tuned now for my reflections uh, on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for my reflections for today. And uh, today what I want to talk about is the often complaint that we can't raise capital. And what I see with entrepreneurs who come to me many, many times is that they say, I've been all around and no one wants to fund me. But they haven't thought through the reasons why. So I want to talk to you about how I approach thinking about whether I'm going to invest in a business or not. Now this might not reflect how other investors think about uh, investing, but this is uh, uh, the way that I do. So I look at it in four blocks. Uh, when I think about investing and any one of these blocks can kill the whole deal. The first thing I look at is to understand if there's a real opportunity. Is, is the opportunity real? Because very often people come and say, oh, I've got an opportunity here. And you know, the example I've used often is a friend of mine who owned one of the big baby uh, distribution companies, you know, the retailers. And I phoned him up and I said, uh, so and so, um, a friend of mine's got an idea and he said, let me guess, that person's just had a baby. And I said, yes. They said, we're not interested. Because everyone that comes to them saying that there's a real opportunity, but there isn't a real opportunity. There's no market opportunity. So what's the market size for the opportunity? Is there a real problem here? Where on, on that industry curve are you? Are you at the end of, of that curve? Or you're at the beginning of the curve. Are you talking about artificial intelligence right now? Or are you talking about coal plants you know, at the end of the, the, the industry life cycle? So that's where you look first. The second thing, place that I look at is, is the solution or the value proposition that they are presenting, is that a real solution? Because often that solution that they, they, they provide might be a solution, but either doesn't make, um, make money. There's no real value proposition to me, the investor, because there's no, there's no return. There's no real value proposition to the customer. You have to interrogate the, the solution and the value proposition from a business model point of view. And is it really the solution to that real problem? Then I look at the team. 
Um, from a team point of view, I look at their, their uh, experience. I look at how many years they've been together, if it's an individual, how long they've been around, what is their reputation. I phone around to find out what their reputation is. Are they really entrepreneurial? Um, and what skin in the game did, did this team put in? And this is, this is very critical for me. And finally, I look at the deal. What is the deal that's offered? So you can have a huge opportunity. You can have a great solution that makes a profit. You've got the right team that can implement, but they're, off, they're valuing the business at a gazillion rand, uh, and not one cent has actually been traded. So very often, the, the actual deal falls down in the deal, and then the people turn around and say, oh, no one wants to actually give, you, give me money. And I caution many entrepreneurs about overvaluing their business. Because if you get through all this and come down to the, the actual what is the value of the business, I can tell you for a fact that the way that you value your business and the way that investors value the business is from a completely different perspective. So some four blocks to think about when going to an investor. Make sure that you can tick these four off before you go out and look for funding. Well, that's it for today's show. Remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.